Today we are in the book of Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts chapter 20. We'll be focusing in on verses 17 through 38 of that chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will hand you one so that you can use a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can have this one. We would love to give you a Bible. If you do have one, you can just leave that one in your seat after you use it today. Got a couple of hands over here. They're coming on your other side. We're going to give you like seven Bibles. Awesome. Acts chapter 20. Again, we'll be focusing on verses 17 through 38. We've been in Acts for about 10 months now, if you can believe that. It's been a while. Uh, Luke has given us this great account in Acts of what happened in the church after Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and we've been following that along. Um, In the second half of Acts, we've really focused on the character of Paul, and we've seen in recent weeks his interactions with the church in Ephesus his interaction with the Ephesians. We pick up today with kind of his last interaction with the church at Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, And during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. Except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves, And for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own member, and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statements they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of God. Today's passage is Paul talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus. That means he's talking to the pastors He's talking to church leaders. He's giving them instruction on what to do since they're not going to see him anymore. 
But what's really great about this passage is it has something for every one of us. In reading this passage, my eyes continually come back to verse 24, but I think it's the overarching point in this passage. You see, Paul addresses these Ephesian elders, and I believe addresses us today, knowing that each one of us long for a purpose. We want our life to have meaning, don't we? We need part of something bigger than ourselves. Sometimes that shows up by being workaholics, that we just devote ourselves, that if my job isn't everything, and I'm not doing right. Sometimes that shows up in being a big fan of a team. I'm from Alabama. Y'all, they call Bama fans bammers for a reason, because you want to devote your life to this thing that's bigger than you. And the truth is, there's a desire there that I actually think is of God. There's a desire there within us to actually be part of God's story, part of his plan, even though we try to fulfill it in so many other ways. Our current series in Acts has been entitled Growing Pains. And we've seen the church working through complications ranging from clarifying the truth of the gospel to being physically persecuted at the hands of people hostile to the gospel. Finally, here in his final message to the church of Ephesus before he's going to write them a letter later, final one face-to-face, Paul helps them with a growing pain that may be something in their hearts. And it may be something in yours. This is the only time in Acts that we have a message from Paul that he gives straight to believers. So maybe there's something in here for you today. You may say, well, I'm not a believer. Then there's definitely something for you in this today. Paul didn't just start in Ephesus here, though. We've got to give a little background. If you've been trekking with us, you may have noticed we didn't just cover verses 1 through 16. That's honestly because it's a long chapter, and most of what happens in verses 1 through 16 is Paul travels around to a lot of places that you don't know where they are. I considered having a map and showing you these places, but decided to just go with what I really think is the main point Luke's trying to get across here, okay? So in the first several verses, you find Paul leaving Ephesus and going around. He continues to preach the gospel. In one place, he gets to Troas, and as he's preaching all through the night to midnight. Somebody say amen, hallelujah for short sermons. All the way to midnight, this young boy named Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window and dies while he's preaching. Paul gets up all nonchalant, goes down, and in the power of the Spirit brings this boy back to life. And as we've seen throughout Acts, the Holy Spirit then validates Paul's message as true. And once again, we see this theme of resurrection proving that God has power over death and over all of life. After that, Paul continued to travel. And his travels actually brought him back near Ephesus, but having already spent three years there and having faced a lot of trials and persecution there, and knowing that he had a lot of close brothers and sisters there, he knew he couldn't go there. So instead, he goes to Miletus, which is about 30 miles away. And he says, I'm going to go here instead. That way I don't waste too much time trying to get to Jerusalem, kind of in a hurry. This would be like, you know, if, if I drove 30 miles to the interstate and said, hey, can't come to Radiant today, but I really want to see some of y'all come, come meet me for lunch. Cool? Paul says, I can't go back there, so he sends for the elders to come to him there in verse 17, and they do. Verse 18 says, when they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. And he begins this discourse where he's going to show us what it is 
to live a life of eternal purpose. A life of eternal purpose. I believe he gives us four main things. The first one is here in verses 17 through 24. And he shows us that a life of purpose is a life of humility. A life of humility. Notice he says, You saw how I lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. Y'all see that? Life of humility. It says humility right in the book. This preaching thing's not hard, y'all. With tears and during trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Notice in Paul's words here, there's a lot to get into there about him preaching the word and those kind of things. But don't miss the forest for the trees, okay? Don't, don't just focus in on those details. What he's really showing them is he put the Lord and he put others ahead of himself. Do you see that? In this life of purpose that he's calling them to, this life that matters forever, he's saying you have to live for people beyond you. If you live a life that just focuses on you, you're going to come up empty every time. Some of you may be in that rat race right now. C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Now, all of us think of ourselves a lot. Every one of us. If you're sitting there going, don't tell me what I do. You don't know my life. I know a little bit about your life. I know that's scary, but I do. Because guess what? You'll go to sleep tonight, Lord willing. You wake up tomorrow morning, Lord willing. And if you wake up tomorrow morning, what's the first thing you're going to think? Either I've got to go to the restroom I'm hungry, I'm still tired, or I'm going to have a good time today. Those four statements all started with I. First thing we wake up, what do we think about? Me. I have needs. I've got stuff I've got to do for me. Every one of us thinks of ourselves first. And Paul points to his own example and shows how he put the Lord and others ahead of himself. He continues talking about this, verses 22 through 24. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I may encounter there. He thinks the Holy Spirit is leading him to go back to Jerusalem, but he has no idea what lies ahead. He says, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. This makes me think of Abraham, or he's actually Abram in Genesis chapter 12. When the Lord first calls Abram out, he says, go to a land that I will show you. And that's all he says. He doesn't say where the land is. He doesn't say how much land it's going to be. He doesn't tell him what the details are going to be. And Abram goes. Paul here knows, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the Spirit seems to keep telling me that bad things are ahead. Chains, persecution, and yet he continues to go. He continues to put the Lord ahead of himself. If you're looking for a key verse today, if you're looking for a verse to memorize out of this sermon, I direct you to verse 24. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Paul says, But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Understand, when he says, I consider my life of no value to myself, Paul is not suicidal. He's not considering taking his life. He's saying, I have found purpose in my life of being value to others. My life being of value to God. 
My purpose is to finish my course and what? The ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Some of you are saying, that's great. I haven't received that same calling. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to go preach somewhere. If you are in Christ, though, God desires for you to go and share the gospel in word and in how you live. All of us. You say, what am I supposed to do with my life? That's what you're supposed to do with your life. Go and be holy and make disciples. You say, well, that doesn't give me all the details. God didn't give Paul the details. He didn't give Abram all the details. He asked us to trust him, and he empowers us moment by moment to go and live for him. Paul understood this. Again, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. It brings to mind Galatians 2.20, which is actually what Paul wrote as well, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It would be really easy to preach this sermon, or for you to hear this sermon and just hear, here are things I need to do to have a life of eternal purpose. And that is not what I want you to hear. Because the truth is, not one of us can live a life of eternal purpose apart from Christ. If he had not come as our Savior to live without sin, to die in our place, taking on our sin and bearing the wrath of God for us at the cross. If he had not been dead three days and defeated sin and death through his resurrection, we would have no hope to find the meaning for which we long. Christ gave his life for us. And we find our purpose when we give our life for his glory. It's only because of Jesus that we can have a purposeful life. Our union with Christ by faith is the only way we can live for his glory. If you're here today and you've experienced the grace of God in Christ, you've already trusted him as Savior and Lord, then you know that a life living for Christ is living one of self-abandon. Do you know what that means? That means I don't think of myself first. Now, when I wake up in the morning, I still do. I still do. That's also why I encourage people to have their prayer and reading the Bible time in the mornings, because you don't need to wait till the end of the day to do what you should have done first. Someone told me that somewhere along the way, and it changed my life, because I was always an evening reading the Bible person. Started doing it in the mornings, shaped the whole rest of my day. Come back to who I am in Christ and who I'm supposed to be that day to point others to Christ because ultimately I can't live a life of eternal purpose apart from Him. Non believers, if you're here today and this just sounds crazy, you're like, what? He keeps saying in Christ. What does that mean? That means you trust Jesus to be your Savior. That says that He died for you and you believe that His death is a sacrifice for you before God that he covers your sin so that when God looks at you, he sees Christ's holiness. That's trusting him as your Savior. When you trust him as your Lord, you're saying he's the boss, he's in charge, he is king, and you follow him with everything that you are. That's what Paul was exemplifying. A non-believer here today, I call you to trust in Jesus today. There's no sense in waiting. Do not continue to waste days of your life 
Life is short. We all only get one go at this thing. And even if you live to be 110, what is 110 years next to eternity? It's nothing. It's the blink of an eye. So the first thing of a life of eternal purpose is a life of humility. The second thing we find in verses 25 through 31 is a life of truth. A life of truth. Starting verse 25, it says, And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Paul preached truth to these Ephesian elders and to the church in Ephesus. And he calls us to be people of truth. Notice he continues in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Paul talks about proclaiming the kingdom of God from Scripture. That is proclaiming the truth of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus, what he is doing now in the power of his spirit. But he also goes on to talk about his life. Notice he says both night and day teaching you. And he's pointing to his example. He's not just talking about his sermons or his lectures. He's also talking about his way of living, the way he treated others, the way he prioritized others. Life of eternal purpose has to be a life of truth. Because in John 14, 6, Jesus calls himself the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also praised this for his disciples in John 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That word sanctified is definitely a church word. It really just means to make holy, to make us like Jesus. We are sanctified, we are made more like Jesus by the truth. He calls himself the truth, so by him, by his word, when we hear his word preached, when we read his word, when we pray his word, when we apply his word to our lives, the way we interact with others, the way we work at our jobs. That is how we grow to be more like Jesus. Living a life of truth means teaching and living sound doctrine. Jesus wants us to know him rightly and he wants us to live to glorify him. So, he sent us the Spirit. Jesus says the Spirit in John 15, 26, When the Counselor comes... The one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. I want you to get this. If we're saying that a life of eternal purpose is a life of truth, right doctrine and right living rightly point to Jesus. Okay? If your doctrine focuses on self, if your doctrine focuses on preference, on tradition, whatever else, you're missing the point. The Holy Spirit himself, who indwells believers, who is here among us now, points us to Jesus and his glory. Points us to his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And if we are living a life of truth, then we will be living a life that points others to Jesus in everything that we do. 
Do we think of our lives that way? The next thing he tells us about a life of eternal purpose is that it'll be a life of giving. A life of giving. This is verses 32 to 35. I said a life of giving, and like four of you just looked at me like, oh, here it is. Pastor's going to tell us about giving. It's not what you think. So listen up. Verses 32 to 35. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I think Paul here, being guided by the Spirit, Luke recording this for us, takes this jump off of talking about this inheritance we have in Jesus, the riches that we share in Christ, to then talk about giving. Verse 33 says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. First of all, bold claim, right? Y'all saying I've never coveted somebody else's silver or gold. Maybe some of you ladies in the room have trouble with that. Guys, that's not a big deal. You say I've never coveted their clothing? I don't believe you. You've seen somebody walk in and be like, man, that's an awesome shirt. I wish I could have a shirt like that. Or that jacket. Or he's got those J's though. Or whatever it is that you like, that's your thing. We do that. It's American culture. We're consumers, right? We look to these things. Paul says, I never did any of that among you. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we got a life of humility, a life of truth, a life of giving. If you were okay with the first two, some of you should be having your toes stepped on now. Okay? I don't think Paul's even just talking about financially here. He's talking about time. I think often in churches we come expecting to receive more than we are willing to give. Are we willing to be in community for the sake of others? Are we willing to submit our preferences for the sake of unity? 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. Brothers and sisters, we give because Jesus gave. That's why. He is our Savior. He's not just our example. He then enables us to give. Because he gave everything that we may live, and now we live in him. Are you sensing a theme here? Are you sensing that all these points point us back to the centrality of Christ in our lives and proclaiming his gospel and living for his glory? Because you should be. This is practical, though, too, this giving. And I think it really shows up in this next point that we see from Paul. Last one, a life of love. A life of eternal purpose is a life of love. Verses 36 to 38 says, After he had said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul was at Ephesus for three years. Now, depending on who you talk to in this room, that may be a really long time, that may be a really short time, but I'm here to tell you that's not a long time to invest in a place. Three years, relatively, is pretty short. You may be able to make some close friends, but just a few, there's not a lot of time. 
But notice Paul's connection to these people. They embrace him. They kiss him. They're grieved over. They're sad because he says he'll never see them again. A life of eternal purpose is a life of love. And that means in the church, brothers and sisters, that we are to invest in one another. We live in a transient culture here in Greater Charleston. If you're not from around here, you may not know that. What I mean by transient culture is a lot of people move here for a little while, for whatever job it is, and then they move out. Or they come to school, and then they move out. And it just seems like it's hard to get connected with people. And what that does for a lot of us is we build up a wall, essentially, where we say, I'm not going to let myself get close to anybody because I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want them to leave. Or you may even be here today thinking, I'm not in Charleston for long. I'm only here for a year. I'm only here for four years, whatever you're saying. So I'm not going to get connected because it's just a short-time stint. I don't see that as a biblical pattern or option. I think we're called to invest. I think we're called to love. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Talking about Jesus. While we were in sin and wanted nothing to do with God, Jesus loved us. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows us what it means to love those who hate. Yes, the cost of love is often grief. Whether you lose somebody, they pass away or whether you lose somebody because they move away or you move away we're still called to invest and church that doesn't just mean showing up here and shaking hands during the greeting time that means saying hey come over to my house we're going to hang out and watch the Super Bowl next week because that's the big thing that everybody knows is happening next week (laughs) or whatever it may be it means giving time It means being open with one another. Church, I hear lots of people tell me all the time, not even just in this church, but all over Charleston, how lonely they are. Because we're lonely people. And oftentimes we're doing it to ourselves. Because I'll say, well, no one in my church looks for community. No one tries to build community. What are you doing? Are you inviting people over? Are you taking people to lunch? Are you being vulnerable with people? Are you sharing your hurts and your pains? Are you encouraging them on a deep level? Are you inviting them to share that part of their lives? Obviously, Paul had. Obviously, these Ephesian elders had. Because when he said, I'm not going to see you again, they're all broken. And he's giving them this great sermon and this great charge. And all they hear is, we're never going to see you again. A life of eternal purpose means a life of love. And love is not superficial. Love means we're going to share life with one another. We're probably going to hurt one another at times, but we are going to reconcile because that is the pattern that Jesus has established for us. And in his power, we will do that with one another. It's easy to talk about purpose and meaning of life and those kind of things. And, you know, there are all kinds of books on purpose-driven this or that and That's all fun, and I think it's easy to relate to for us because we do want that sense of purpose. We do want that sense of meaning. 
But I've learned that when I talk to people about that, it's usually difficult for them to then say what a life of purpose actually looks like. You know, if they're not believers, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I often have talked to people who will say they're not sure there is a purpose. Maybe we're just here by accident. But I don't buy that. We all long for something beyond this world. Where does that come from? When we watch movies and when we read books and we hear stories, we find ourselves being caught up and wanting to be part of this story. Where does that desire come from? That's not just chemicals in your body giving you longings like that. That's not logical. What we long for is a life of eternal purpose that goes beyond our own lives. It's part of something much bigger than us that's only found in Jesus Christ. It's a transcendent purpose. And by transcendent, I mean it rises above everything in this world. If you don't have a transcendent purpose, you're going to be looking for your purpose in things in this life. A good example that we talked about in our teaching team last Tuesday, somebody else came up with this, not me, but it was a great example, talked about an athlete. Raise your hand if you played sports in high school or middle school or something like that. Oh, good, lots of us, that's good. I got my college athlete section down here, like, of course. I've known lots of athletes who their whole life was, I'm going to play football. And then junior, senior year of high school, they blow out their knee and suddenly their life struggling to find meaning. They feel like they've lost everything. Maybe you're that way. Maybe it's not because you got injured playing sports. Maybe it's because you lost a job. Or a spouse died. And I don't say these things to condemn you. I say these things to say that longing you have is actually a good longing that will only be satisfied in Jesus. And the only way you'll find purpose for your life is living a life that is fully devoted to him. I don't want you to spend time doing this, but you can spend time trying everything else. Go try to find your identity in anything else, and you will always come up short. You will always come up empty. You will always come up feeling alone, and you won't know why. What I would implore you and beg you to do, if you don't know Jesus today, is to trust him as Savior and Lord today. Oftentimes, people who don't know the Lord, if you're here today and you don't, you may think, well, this is all just hokey religion. I don't believe the gospel. I don't even think Jesus was real. Put all that aside, because I'm telling you, if you know the good news of the gospel, that we can be with our Creator forever, we can have eternal joy, then you will want Jesus' resurrection, His story, to be true. You'll want it to be true. And if you'll follow that instinct for just a moment, you will find that the Lord is good. He's good. Many of you here today, though, I know, and I know that you are believers. And I wonder if you're living a life of eternal purpose. Is your life marked by humility and truth and giving and love? Do you prioritize those things? Do you think about various ways you are and are not Showing those things. A life of eternal purpose isn't one that we just put a cool event on the calendar and say, hey, come to men's breakfast, and you do that, or you help somebody move, and you feel like you did a good thing. 
A life of eternal purpose is one where every day you wake up and you take up your cross and you follow Jesus. And we go and we love and serve people who may never love us back, who may never receive our message, and we know that we are living for something bigger than us. We're living for eternal purpose that's worth it. You get one life. Does your life have eternal significance in Jesus? Let's pray.